right. Just be a minute. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Before I introduce today's guest, who is a fabulous plant-based cardiologist who's going to be taking your questions and doing PowerPoint, I want to introduce B and Jared. I'm meeting them for the first time. Jared wrote me because today is not only B's birthday, so we're going to wish her a very happy birthday, but it's her one-year vegan anniversary, and he wanted me to do a little video, but I'm not comfortable doing a video. I'd rather say hello. Hello, happy birthday, and thank you for being vegan. Hello, and thank you so much. This is completely unexpected. It's actually a a birthday surprise. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Well, my Chef AJ, you're you're such an inspiration. Thank you for everything that you do. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. You know, I congratulations that first year. You know, if you get over that first year, the next 50 will be pretty easy. I've been doing it almost 50 years. I'm curious what um, inspired you to go vegan a year ago. So, so last year, my mom was diagnosed with stage two colorectal cancer. And she, uh, she, she didn't want to go through treatment, understandably. She's, you know, never trusted doctors. And she's always been a woman of great faith. Um, so Jared and I started doing a ton of research, trying to find ways where maybe she could naturally fight the cancer. Um, and what we found was that a plant-based diet is the most optimal in terms of health and longevity and life. And that, you know, things like soy are even natural cancer fighters. They're more, they're stronger and, and more effective even than a lot of cancer medications. And just the amount of information that we found was overwhelming and life-changing. And we quickly adopted a plant-based diet um, as a result. And we tried our hardest to encourage my mom to to follow suit and she did in some regards but I think that she um you know eating eating certain foods kind of gave her comfort at a time when she she needed the comfort um and she uh she gave it a she gave it a fighting chance but the cancer progressed to stage three and she was living with us and we were taking care of her uh, during her treatment and um, she finished her treatment. But unfortunately about three weeks later, she suffered a massive seizure. And then, you know, eventually that led to a prolonged hospital stay and being in and out of the ICU for, I think about 29 days total. She just kind of, little by little was kind of falling apart. The seizures led to a stroke and she had AFib and um, CHF. Um, she started having altered mental states. It was heartbreaking seeing her crumble little by little. And anytime she was coherent enough when she could swallow, you know, we were giving her green smoothies and, and you know, tofu and holding out hope that she would make it because she did show improvement anytime that happened. And one of the last things that she said to me before she passed away 
I was actually feeding her a green smoothie. Um, she said, I think it is about nutrition. I think it is about nutrition, B. And I said, it is, mom. Keep drinking. And that, to me, kind of just like cemented this entire journey, you know, from us learning the truth about the food that we eat to our lifestyle change. I mean, we all, we felt great, right? Instantly, you notice the, the benefits of it and it's undeniable. It's undeniable. And you don't know unless you, you really do it and you commit to it. And um, it's just given us a lot of faith to keep moving forward in this direction. And we want to become advocates for a plant-based lifestyle. It's so important. And and first and foremost, for, for your health, you know, we love animals and we do it for animals as well. But health, our health is, you know, if we don't have that, then we don't have anything. Well, first of all, I'm very sorry about your mom, but I'm also very happy that you took your health destiny in your own hands because you have her genetics. And I'm just so happy for you getting this information. And you seem very young. So at a very young age, and I got to tell you, you got a terrific boyfriend. Yes, I do. Yeah. And and you guys went plant-based together, huh? We did. Yeah. It's the best. Or fulfilling because you could do it, do things together that you could kind of celebrate. It's been really a fun journey. Yeah. Well, where, where, where do you guys live? So we're based out of Florida. We live in a little town about 40 uh, minutes north of Orlando called Deland. Yeah. Well, that, For now, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of wonderful plant based people and doctors and veg fests in Florida. So I wish you, you have any special plans for your birthday today? You know what? We're actually going to a vegan Thanksgiving potluck. That's and we made a couple of plant-based uh, gluten-free dishes to bring, and we're really excited to meet with more like-minded people. Yeah. Well, thank you, and uh, I bet your mom is looking down on you today and just smiling that you're just you know do- doing well. You you guys look great. I love the way you guys are dressed. By the way, you just are, you. are just rocking it. So <laughs> I'm I'm happy to wish you a happy birthday, and we will meet one of these days. And again, thank you for so much for for being vegan. And I think one of the reasons is going to make you stay vegan is you have that what they call the strong why the why that makes you cry and. Um, Thank you again so much and happiest of birthday to you, B. And nice to meet you, Jared. Thank you, Chef AJ. And can I just oh, share something? Of course, really you can. of course you can. So my mom, she actually passed away on July 6th of this year. And that was the first day that I actually discovered you. I think Jared and I both, we kind of stumbled upon your interview on Rich Roll on YouTube that morning. And we didn't think about it until later, but my mom's initials are AJ. Uh, <laughs> her name's Anella Jean. She, she was Jean. But to find you on the day that she passed and your initials are AJ. Yep. She sent you. Apparently she sent you to me. So thank you guys. I hope you'll keep okay. in touch. Take yeah. care. Thank you so much for being here and happy. Everybody on the chat is saying happy birthday. Thank Thank you. Much love. My pleasure. And that was lovely, wasn't it? Dr. Loam, I'm sorry to delay your coming on the show, but that was a very special um, testimonial, wasn't it? 
Yes, indeed. Happy birthday, B. A plant-based doctor is wishing you a happy birthday. But, you know, I know you have a presentation plan, but let's just talk about what she said because you're a doctor. And I think what she said was very profound about how her mother's cancer treatment seemed to, in many ways, make her sicker. And the fact that um, if, if she maybe had chosen to do this, there, there might have been some hope of some, you know, remission or reversal. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Of course, I'm a cardiologist, not an oncologist, but I um, uh, I did do all the uh, lifestyle medicine training, and I've, I've talked to many of the oncologists that are plant-based, and I think the power of plant-based diets is actually predominantly in prevention of the cancer. We still have to be very evidence-based and look, look at the science. Uh, certainly, the science shows once you've had cancer, many different types like colon or breast cancer, plant-based diets definitely improve outcomes. Can they completely reverse and be the sole treatment for cancer? Eh, that's challenging uh, according to the, the data and the research. Maybe we just haven't really shown it yet in published you know, clinical trials, uh, but no question about it, you're gonna have better outcomes if you do it. Uh, and um, everybody you know, should go that way. In our local oncology group, it's amazing. They have a, a plant-based uh, nutritionist and they get every cancer patient to understand plant-based diets and try to go plant-based. And that's, that's the way it should be. Yeah. Well, because she had mentioned when her mom got sick, she had both AFib and CHF, which are cardiac problems. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And uh, atrial fibrillation is predominantly preventable. Uh, congestive heart failure kind of depends on the cause, but uh, frequently preventable uh, through lifestyle. Yeah, that's great. Well, in case people don't know you, you're awesome. You're a plant-based cardiologist. You have lots of different stories. I mean, you have the story. Well, well I'll let you share it. But I mean, <laughs> what I love is you went from being quite a larger person to being quite a very fit, slimmer person. That's one story. Um, and then you have the story about the saving somebody's life, which you probably do every day anyway, but <laughs> about the one that got on so, the news. And so do you. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in a different way. So where would you like to start? Um, I'm flexible. Maybe I have some slides that I could share and it kind of tells some of the stories and goes through not just my personal experiences as to what led me here to be on your show again, uh, but uh, going through some of the science about heart disease prevention and, and reversal. So maybe I could just kind of dive right into the slides if that's okay. That sounds great because I'm sure people watching live will have questions and we know people have already sent some in in advance. All right, let's do it. Can you see the slides there? I can. Lifestyle, medicine, and heart disease. Yeah. So I recently um, had the pleasure of speaking at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine in Washington, D.C., the PCRM conference. And I spoke about uh, lifestyle medicine and heart disease. Some of this uh, that I'm going to share with you here was what I, uh, what I presented. I modified it a bit. And I do speak fast, so I apologize. But the, the beautiful thing about video is you can go back and watch again and, and reference. So uh, in order to make sure I can answer all questions and, and have a great discussion afterwards, I might go a little bit quickly through these slides just as an FYI. Um, so yeah, this was me about 10 years ago, 100 pounds heavier, uh, following a standard American diet, developing lots of standard American diseases. And I had an aha moment that I had to lose weight myself. Uh, and in my clinical practice, that's all I did. I was trained pills for blood pressure, pills for heart failure, cholesterol, diabetes, uh, but I wasn't trained in lifestyle. And so kind of my personal health and my professional dis satisfaction of just pushing pills really kind of came together at my aha moment. So as I was trying to lose weight, I did lots of wrong things like focusing only on exercise, which is 20%. I read the USDA dietary guidelines. That's a mistake. Chicken, fish, low-fat dairy products, olive oil, which we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, and I wouldn't give up the junk food, uh, which I would 
eat in moderation, which as we know, moderation doesn't work. You shouldn't smoke cigarettes in moderation or do heroin or cocaine in moderation. Things that are bad for you should be eliminated completely, as you know. Uh, and so I struggled and I made a lot of mistakes and it wasn't until Netflix randomly suggested that I watch Forks Over Knives that my life changed when 100% whole food plant-based lost weight down to my ideal body weight, ran a bunch of marathons and my journey uh, is never going to end. Um, so I've been plant-based now since 2016 and and never going back uh, for the rest of my life. Um, and so what uh, what I shared was, um, you know, I think we know how our healthcare system is in the United States. Healthcare is in quotes because it's more of a sick care system. I'm very passionate about lifestyle medicine, and the nutrition part is the most important part. But there's other aspects of it as well. Uh, and then being a cardiologist, my focus is on heart disease. Um, and a lot of your viewers know some of the basic concepts, but it never never hurts to quickly just kind of review them. And what I like to share with um, the general public as well as healthcare professionals is really some tools and statements from major medical societies because people may question, what are you talking about? Eat a plant-based diet. This is crazy. And you say, no, 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 look, the American Heart Association guidelines say right here, eat a plant-based diet. It's not me. You could argue with the American Heart Association. Don't argue with me because it's already advocated. And I'll show you those statements so you could use them in, uh, to empower you to spread this message of plant-based diets and lifestyle medicine that we really need to spread. We know heart disease is the number one cause of death in America every year since 1919 and 1918, it was the Spanish flu. Despite the fact that heart disease is nearly 100% preventable, this still blows my mind that we have essentially have a cure for America's number one killer, but we actively have chosen as a culture, food system, healthcare system to ignore that cure, which is uh, a lifestyle medicine approach. And a lot of it has to do with culture and money um, and it's challenging. And I like to say that heart disease is not genetic because I was taught it was genetic in my training. It's a part of the aging process. It's in your genes. Yeah, maybe if you eat healthy exercise, you could slow the progression, but that's all I was uh, told. This is a great study that took the highest genetic risk patients and put them on what they call a healthy lifestyle, which is exercising uh, and eating a USDA dietary guidelines, not even you know, a whole food plant-based diet completely. And they cut the risk in half of having heart disease in the highest genetic risk people. So we know the genes load the gun and diet and lifestyle pulls the trigger. So how are we doing in the United States? It's so important to emphasize this. We are doing dismal. This is a big publication in the biggest cardiology journal. Patients with heart disease, only 52% of them had their blood sugars controlled. Only 49% had their blood pressure controlled. Only 30% had good cholesterol numbers. Only 18% had a normal body mass index, less than 25 when really we want ideal body weight. Only 78% were not smoking cigarettes and only 22% exercised. So how are we doing with the diet part? You know, these numbers are bad enough. 1%, only 1% of people with heart disease were following. Again, they always reference the USDA dietary guidelines, something called the healthy eating index, when really we know we should be eating more whole food, plant-based. So the percentage of people with heart disease that are actually eating plant-based diets is dismal, yet we know the science is there and it's in the guidelines. So we have a lot of work to do and healthcare spending in the United States is out of control. Per capita, we spend more than any other country and as a percentage of our economy in the United States, we tower over all other countries in regards to the percentage of our economy that we spend on healthcare. So you would think we must be healthy in America, right? We're spending all this money. 
nope, we're actually dead last, according to the World Health Organization, amongst industrialized nations in regards to life expectancy. So we're not really doing a good job because we're not really focusing at all on, on lifestyle and prevention. So we really want to shift our model away from pills and to plants. We don't want short appointments and only doctor visits. We don't want doctors to get paid the more they do. We want doctors to get paid for prevention. We want long appointments with an integrative approach and get paid to keep our patients healthy. Right now, my patient has a heart attack and goes to the hospital. I see him in the hospital, I get paid more. How does that make any sense? It makes zero sense. We need to get paid to keep our patients healthy. And we're moving that direction, it's just too slow. And you know, clinical trial after clinical trial after clinical trial has really shown that patients with heart disease, clogging of the arteries, blockages that can cause chest pain, as long as it's stable and not actively triggering a heart attack, putting a stent in does not make them live longer. It does not prevent heart attacks. Yet billions of dollars every year are spent on this because again, why treat the cause of the problem? We can make money putting in stents. Nobody wants to change their diet, right? Well, that's because we haven't really set up a system in our healthcare system and tried to shift our culture towards it. We really need to be the lead, the change in our healthcare industry. But even if you're not in healthcare, you can spread this message. Um, so lifestyle medicine is uh, what is our solution. The American College of Lifestyle Medicine is a powerful organization that's growing and growing and growing. And there's six pillars to lifestyle medicine to help people prevent heart disease and you know cancers and autoimmune disorders and everything else. Nutrition is the most important pillar. Physical activity is important. We can't ignore it. Sleep, social connection, avoiding risky substances, and stress management. Now you put all these together, looks a lot like the Ornish Lifestyle Medicine Program. Um, and, uh, Dr. Dean Ornish, a cardiologist who had a clinical trial showing reversal of heart disease is one of the founding fathers of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. This is powerful. So to prevent heart disease, we need our cholesterol numbers controlled and we need to protect the lining of our artery, the endothelium from damage at all costs. And it's really important to know that heart disease starts early. There was even a research study showing that the unborn fetus in the pregnant mother can start having cholesterol fatty streaks if the mother doesn't eat healthy and has high cholesterol numbers. So the earlier you start being healthy, the better. In adolescence, the plaque starts to build up and it grows and it grows until it gets advanced and can trigger that heart attack. And the first symptom in about a quarter to a third of people have heart disease, the first symptom is sudden death. That's why we don't want to wait and say, oh, I'll change my diet after I get heart disease. If you could reverse it later, fine, I'll just reverse it later. But you never know when you're just going to have a cardiac arrest and, and be done. So prevention is important. Now, this is a busy slide, but I want to emphasize the way heart disease develops. Again, the two things, LDL cholesterol being elevated and damage to the arterial endothelium. These gray boxes are all the things that can damage the endothelium. There's genetic determinants, yes. Uh, blood pressure, inflammation, smoking, diabetes affects it too. And eventually you get LDL clogs, the artery wall gets oxidized and sucked up by these macrophages, and then the plaque will eventually progress. But knocking out inflammation is, is one of the keys. Now, I just wanted to show that, you know, we talk about how uh, there's two different types of plaque. There's the unstable soft cholesterol-based plaque and the more stable hardened calcified plaque. Once you have the soft plaque, if you go plant-based, a lot of that soft plaque actually hardens and becomes more stable. You may have heard of coronary calcium scores. Don't freak out if you change your diet to plant-based and your calcium score goes up because you just took your soft plaque 
and you stabilize it and you harden it. So um, that's kind of the, the way heart disease develops. Now, again, not to foo-foo off exercise. Exercise has lots of benefits, uh, including lowering mortality, improving diabetes, blood pressure, heart failure, and coronary disease. I want you to look at this. Exercise lowers LDL cholesterol only by three to 10 points. Three to 10, keep that in mind. And this is a big study I love to show that shows the opposite of exercise. The least sedentary people in the lowest 20th percentile have a four times higher risk of having a heart attack. That's the same as smoking cigarettes. So they say being very sedentary is the new tobacco. So you need to stay physically active for sure. And so personally, uh, I, I needed a wake up call myself. I had lost weight down to my ideal body weight, no excuses, pandemic hit. Some of the processed foods, uh, vegan processed foods, of course, snuck back in. I gained 20 to 30 pounds. I didn't exercise as much. And I personally needed a wake-up call to say, hey, man, uh, get yourself back in health. Uh, and so what happened to me about a year ago, this is me and my two older kids. Uh, Jaden was on your show July 4th a couple of years ago, making a watermelon cake. She's on the right. Uh, Ian in the middle. They're both high school cross-country runners. We are running the Monterey Bay Half Marathon last year. It was a beautiful day. Uh, and here is what happened. Um, at mile three, uh, as I was running, I saw a runner collapse. This is seen from the Today Show. Uh, and uh, I realized he had no pulse, wasn't breathing, started CPR quick. And uh, he was in a fatal rhythm called ventricular fibrillation. It was Greg Gonzalez. He's an attorney, a Supreme Court judge, actually, in the state of Washington. Great guy. Uh, and um, uh, we got him back, got him in the ambulance. And I decided, okay, fine, I'm going to keep going. I'm, I'm not in last place. I was frazzled. I called the hospital, make sure he was okay. I was so happy to hear he was awake and alert. So then I keep going and I crossed the finish line, threw my arms up in the air. And what happened? Oh my gosh, another guy collapses right in front of me. Uh, Michael Heileman, um, he's, a, um, he's a video game engineer. He, uh, he collapsed full cardiac arrest. I did CPR on him. We shocked him within a minute. He woke up and stopped the Strava on his watch to record his race time. And he wanted to get up. And I had to say, hey, man, uh, no, you can't get up. You just died. Uh, this was a big deal. Uh, and uh, and he was frazzled. But we got him into the ambulance and he made a full recovery. This is Greg and Mike meeting themselves or meeting each other for the first time on the Today Show. And then they uh, got to uh, see me again for the first time afterwards as well. It was a beautiful emotional moment. Uh, and really what I'm so proud of, of Greg and Mike, not only because of their recovery and their strength, uh, but they have become passionate advocates now for heart health, uh, oh, not, not just um, not just learning CPR and all that stuff, but also lifestyle medicine, which I'll get to. So um, it was a beautiful moment. So it's kind of funny. Uh, one of the first things I did, because uh, this got, got worldwide media attention, published in Washington Post and, and Runner's World. One of the first things I did when I knew this was getting a lot of attention is I, I emailed Neil Barnard and I emailed him from PCRM because I know he's been on all these shows. And I said, hey, I really want to spread the plant-based diet message, but I know how the media is. They don't really want to emphasize plant-based diets. How can I sneak it in? And he gave me all these all this advice and I and I tried really hard to emphasize that part, Washington Post wouldn't mention anything about diet. Runner's World wouldn't mention anything about diet. American Heart Association was phenomenal. Uh, they did a great job, a uh, great article, same with the American Medical Association, emphasizing that diet is, is key. 
because these two runners were fit. They were marathon runners. They were thin, but they didn't eat a proper diet, right? Uh, and that's another thing that kind of shows, hey, diet is king. It's not just exercise. The Daily Mail was awesome. Uh, it's kind of a controversial um, publication, uh, but they did a great job. They even showed when uh, when I protested out in front of McDonald's at McDonald's headquarters in Chicago, um, saying, you know, bacon causes uh, butt cancer um, and uh, you need to reduce your heart risk and give up bacon because McDonald's was giving out bacon for free, uh, which is crazy. And so um, they're doing wonderful now, Greg and Mike, and uh, they donated a defibrillator to uh, the Big Sur Marathon uh, Race Foundation, um, which was very, very nice of them. And uh, here we are just this past weekend, six days ago, they came back and they ran the half marathon with me. We stuck together the whole way. We crossed the finish line with arms up. They did wonderful. Uh, I'm so proud of them. And guess what? They are both following 100% whole food, plant-based diets at this point in time. What, what an amazing story. So now, along with my personal journey, now I have another powerful uh, life experience to kind of really promote lifestyle medicine and say, hey, listen, exercise is great, but diet is king. Diet is king. We really need to focus on that part. And this is the shirt, the back of the shirt that we wore, uh, uh, run heart healthy, eat a plant-based diet, get your heart checked and learn CPR. So amazing people. I'm very, very proud of, of Greg and Mike for, for their comeback and their inspiration and their passion to spread this message. So it's great. You should have them on the show sometime. <laughs> so, hey, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. They're great. So, um, yeah, so just getting back into it, we talked about exercise and such just really quickly uh, about cholesterol and endothelial health. Uh, we know for your blood cholesterol, eating cholesterol, saturated fat and trans fats, that's what raise your blood cholesterol numbers and a whole food plant-based diet, cholesterol-free. And depending on how you do it, uh, it could be very low in saturated fat. And the way I like to describe nutrition is there's only three food groups, processed foods, animal foods, and plant foods. And again, we don't wanna moderate processed foods, we want them out. And that's the same thing with animal foods. You want them out, you want to focus on a whole food, plant-based diet. Uh, it should be only one food group in my opinion, and I think yours too, probably. <laughs> um, so uh, what I like to emphasize in regards to cholesterol is experts think that the prerequisite that you must have to clog your arteries is an elevated cholesterol number. Keeping your LDL cholesterol under 70 or total under 150 or 140 is absolutely critical. And so you kind of say this a different way, there's no scientific evidence anywhere that if your total cholesterol is under 140 and your LDL is significantly under 70, that smoking cigarettes, being 300 pounds and a couch potato that's a type two diabetic will ever clog your arteries if your LDL cholesterol is very low. Not that you should smoke if your LDL is low, but you know, you get the point. It's critical, uh, getting your cholesterol numbers are critical. And I absolutely love this uh, image from a big publication in the Journal American College of Cardiology which shows here on the bottom your age, and here is your cumulative LDL cholesterol exposure. The higher it is for the more years, it's kind of like smoking cigarettes. The more cigarettes you smoke and the more years you smoke for, the more lung damage. And on the right is your cumulative risk of having had a heart attack. Now, the average American's LDL cholesterol is 125. So by the age of 40, you have about a 1% risk. By the age of 60, 80%. And by the age of 80, the average American has a 16% risk of having a heart attack with an LDL 125. Now I have tons of patients whose LDL is around 160 or even higher. So at that number, by the age of 40, uh, you're at a 3% risk by the age of 60, a 16% risk, and you're off the charts by the age of 80. 
But what if you can get your LDL cholesterol nice and low, keep it around 60, especially if you could do it early in life from the day you were born, by the age of 40, your risk is under 1%, by the age of 61%, by the age of 80, still 1%. And that's cholesterol alone. That's how critical it is. So really more data shows between 50 and 70 is where our LDL should be. Uh, when babies are born, you know, you look at monkeys out in nature, that's where their LDL cholesterols are. And so that's where we need to be as, as humans, as adults in all stages of our life. And uh, this is a, a graph of clinical trials. Each red dot represents thousands of patients in a clinical trial in trying to prevent heart disease, what we call primary prevention, trying to prevent the first heart attack or stroke. The LDL cholesterol you need to achieve to have a zero rate of heart attack or strokes around 55, 55 LDL, we said, but what if you've already had a heart attack or a stroke? and you're trying to make sure that you don't have another one. Well, you're already at your higher risk. You've got to be more aggressive. Again, each dot represents thousands of patients in a big randomized controlled trial. And when you graph it all out, the LDL you need to achieve is 30 to prevent the second one once you've already had one. And there's no such thing as too low of a cholesterol number. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And uh, so in regards to diet, we know that uh, diet uh, cholesterol is only in animal-based foods with chicken and eggs being the top two sources, beef is high and plant-based foods have no cholesterol. I'd like to tell people chicken has almost as much cholesterol as beef because a lot of people move away from red meat to white meat thinking they're doing good. Yeah, it's lower in saturated fat, but it still has a lot of cholesterol. Maybe only a third of people are really dietary cholesterol sensitive and two thirds aren't as much, but still uh, a third of people will do that. And the, and the protein itself is a problem too, uh, animal-based protein and poultry. So the current statements, and again, uh, you need to be empowered to know these statements so people don't think just you're crazy for spreading this, this message if you're talking to other people about it. The current guidelines say eat as little cholesterol as possible, yet they show a pattern of about 100 to 300. But we know any amount will raise your LDL cholesterol number, which I'll, I'll show you. So then um, in regards to saturated fat, which is probably more important than dietary cholesterol, the number one source in the American diet is cheese. And of course, red meat and processed meats are very high. Uh, and chicken still has some, and the tropical oils are very high. That's why we should be as oil-free as we can. And again, plant-based foods are minimal. There are some in nuts, seeds, coconut, uh, and, and such, the higher fat plant-based foods. But again, the statement that you need to tell people, hey, look, according to the Institute of Medicine, or now it's called the National Academy of Medicine, they didn't set an upper limit for how much saturated fat is safe to eat, how much cholesterol is safe to eat, because any amount that you eat above 0%, any amount will increase your LDL cholesterol number. This is based on metabolic ward controlled feeding studies where they lock people in, they control everything they eat and they check their cholesterol. We know any amount will raise your LDL. So if your LDL is over 70, uh, you got to cut out more cholesterol and saturated fat. Uh, and you know, exercise can lower your LDL, remember three to 10 points. Remember only three to 10. If your LDL is 160, exercise is not going to do it. It's got to be diet. Uh, just like cigarettes, right? We say any amount of cigarettes aren't good for you. It should be zero. You don't need to eat cigarettes or smoke. Don't, yeah, please don't eat cigarettes. You don't need to smoke cigarettes to leave to, to live. Uh, you don't need to eat cholesterol saturated fat to live. It is not an essential nutrient. So uh, zero is quite fine. So that's the cholesterol part. And just to quickly get into the endothelial part, animal-based protein versus plant-based protein. So we're talking about damage and inflammation to the arteries. We know that when you eat an animal-based protein, things like TMAO, trimethylamine oxide, can cause damage. Heterocyclic amines, the heme iron is very dangerous. 
new 5G advanced glycolation end products and endotoxins all coming from uh, the result of eating animal-based proteins can damage your arteries. Whereas when you eat plant-based proteins, you get fiber, vitamins, and all these phytonutrients, which are antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. And that's why plant-based proteins are not going to lead to heart disease like animal-based proteins do. So this is one of the biggest studies on diet and inflammation, including Walter Willett, who is uh, one of the most uh, profound uh, Harvard nutrition researchers, which really showed that the intake of red meat, processed meats, organ meats, refined carbohydrates, and sweetened beverages are the biggest culprit for inflammation, whereas uh, green leafy vegetables and, and fruits and whole grains don't. Now, people might say, um, where the heck is the poultry. I thought you said poultry wasn't good for you. We'll get into that, but processed meats is, is the worst for sure. So I, um, in regards to the protein itself, here are three powerful studies that were published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, looking at the association of animal versus plant-based protein with all cause mortality, meaning who's gonna die, but depending on what protein source they eat. And they also go into heart disease and other things. But in regards to heart, uh, in regards to all-cause mortality, the way this graph works here, so follow me here, is this line right here in the middle is neutral. 1.0 is neutral, meaning there would be no effect. Uh, and anything to this side means a reduction of risk of dying, right? And so anything to the left would favor plant-based protein. So when you remove processed meats from your diet and instead have a plant-based protein source, it's a dramatic reduction in all-cause mortality. Same thing for unprocessed red meats, beef and pork. Now, even for poultry and for fish, when they were removed from the diet and instead you had a plant-based protein source, there was a significant reduction in all-cause mortality. Egg protein was huge. Uh, and it specifically, it was a big impact on cardiovascular health. Uh, and uh, dairy was also significant. So every single animal-based protein source when removed from the diet and a plant-based protein source was substituted, all-cause mortality reduced significantly. So the science is very clear on this. In regards to inflammation, again, uh, emphasizing the poultry part, there's a nice study that was published in the Journal of the American Heart Association where they took patients with heart disease who had heart attacks, randomized them to the American Heart Association diet versus a whole food vegan diet. So here's the American Heart Association diet, one cup milk, one cup yogurt, little bits of cheese, egg substitutes, uh, egg whites they tried to do, uh, again, trying to get rid of the dietary cholesterol, little bits of oil were allowed in there, little bits of nuts and seeds, and, and, and only a little bit per day, small amount of poultry and seafood, red meat was out, right? Uh, and so this is what they randomized some patients to this diet and others to a whole food vegan diet. And they measured what was called C-reactive protein, a marker of inflammation that's more specific for the heart. The vegan diet had a significant reduction of C-reactive protein. And the American Heart Association diet really didn't have much of a reduction, just, just a teeny little bit. And it crossed over this line, meaning it could just be a statistical anomaly, whereas this one was all the way over here, showing that a whole food vegan diet knocked out inflammation, whereas the American Heart Association diet really didn't have that much of an effect. And again, that was what people call a healthy diet. No, a whole food vegan diet is definitely uh, superior, no question. And don't even get me started on keto. We don't need to get into it. But keto has been shown to increase cholesterol numbers and inflammation markers. Yes, there's variability, um, but uh, not everybody's the same. But here is uh, a good study from Mayo Clinic. They took about the third of people that were hyper responders and looked at their cholesterol numbers on a keto diet. 
their LDL went to over 300. About a third of people who go on keto, their LDL goes to over 300. That's absolutely insane. And this is why the US News and World Report, even though they're not a major medical authority, they rate the ketogenic diet as number 24 out of 24, dead last in regards to heart health. So no, no keto, I mean, plant-based keto, there's not as much research on it. Maybe it's okay, but it's not really needed. So, and so here's another statement, you know, that the American Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics says 100% whole food plant-based diet is nutritionally adequate for all stages of life. So elderly, you know, infants, pregnancy, athletes, everybody, the B12 thing, everybody should be taking, especially if over the age of 50. So um, if everybody, anybody ever argues any nutrient, whether it's protein, macronutrient, or any vitamin or mineral, just say, listen, as long as you're eating a variety of unprocessed plant-based foods, enough calories, uh, you're going to be fine and get all the nutrients you need, according to the American Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And so this is why the guidelines from the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology, they say straight out in their guidelines, plant-based diet, it's in the guidelines in regards to prevention. Now, if you really look at the back here, they say plant-based and Mediterranean diets. Now, first of all, a Mediterranean diet is more plant-based, right? It's not completely plant-based because there's lean meats and there is olive oils in there. Um, but here's what I want to tell you is when they looked at this big clinical trial called the PREDIMED trial, the uh, reduction of heart attack, stroke, and death was largely driven by only stroke with no improvement with the Mediterranean diet for overall death or heart attack. So based on this big trial, which is the best one that's been done, you could say a Mediterranean diet does not cause or does not prevent heart attacks, does not prevent heart disease, it doesn't make you live longer. Unless when they analyzed it later, they saw that only people eating a pro-vegetarian food pattern as a part of the Mediterranean diet had a reduction of heart disease risk and all-cause mortality, the highest vegetarian score. So fine, eat Mediterranean, but cut out the animal-based foods as much as you can. And this is how it looks like in, in graphic form. So up here, you have the control diet, which was probably a horrible diet. And this was a Mediterranean diet. And they go, look, the people on the Mediterranean diet, they died, cumulative incidence of heart attack, stroke, or death. They had better outcomes. See how lower the line was here? But as lifestyle medicine doctors, we look at this part underneath here and we say, wait a second, this is what we call residual risk. This means, yeah, it did better, but oh my gosh, all these people still had heart attack, strokes, or died, which is a huge number of people. If you were to go whole food plant-based, you would draw a line more like this. Maybe you can't be 100% heart attack proof and prevent every single heart attack or stroke, but it's going to do way better. And the residual risk is going to be markedly less if you go whole food plant-based. And so to summarize things, I believe this is the last slide. Lifestyle medicine uh, is the answer to our problem. Only 1% of America eats healthy. We have a lot of work to do. Exercise is important, but diet is critical. Uh, the key concepts, lower your LDL cholesterol, protect your arteries from damage and inflammation. Uh, and cholesterol and saturated fat, there's no safe amount in your diet. Remember all those statements. The American Heart Association recommends plant-based and the American Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, they say 100% plant-based is nutritionally adequate. So uh, the closer you get to a whole food, plant-based diet, the better you're going to be. No question about it. So that's it. So thank you so much for letting me share my passion and my slides and my story here. I'll stop the share. Uh,
All right. Here's I I that story is remarkable on so many levels. First of all, one of my favorite parts is the guy after he has a cardiac event, he just wants to get up and finish the race. Yeah, well, he had already passed the finish line, actually. Uh, he had already crossed. So he just wanted to stop the, uh, he did want to get up, yes, but he wanted to stop the his watch so he can record his race time. Yeah, he just wanted to get up. He's like, oh, I just fainted. And and the key was, we shocked him, we defibrillated him within about a minute, maybe two minutes of him going down. So the quicker you do it, the more blood flow that there is to the brain. And, you know, it's almost like nothing happened. Uh, but uh, the first guy took about five minutes. So he, he was a little more flustered. He didn't remember anything. I mean, when you think about it, you, you, you ostensibly saved more lives that day than in your career. I mean, that was just, that's just, I mean, I, I, that's just, did you get some kind of award or something? That is just such a cool story. American Red Cross did, did recognize it. It was, it was nice. So yeah, it's, it was, um, it, you know, what I think, again, the most beautiful thing about it, uh, not only the random chance, of course, because I mean, they're just looking at the odds, uh, it's about a one in 40 chance of somebody having a cardiac arrest during a race that size, there was 5,000 participants. So two of them, uh, it's about one in 1600. Uh, survival of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest is only 5%. Um, but during a, a marathon, it's higher survival because there's people around. So survival of a cardiac arrest during a half marathon or marathon is 30%. So what are the odds of two people having a cardiac arrest and both surviving? I mean, that's unlikely. And you being close enough to be able to, to administer yeah. emergency. When you say you gave him CPR, like, like, do they just have defibrillator? Did you run with a defibrillator? <laughs> no, no, no. So, uh, no. So uh, for the first one, I was doing chest compressions um, and uh, people called 911 and an ambulance had to come because it was in an awkward part of the course. Um, and so that's why we had to wait about five minutes before the defibrillator came. The second one there, the medical tent is right at the finish line. Uh, and so um, the second one's uh, uh, one of the race volunteers volunteers, you know, saw him go down too and rushed the defibrillator over. And that's why we had one so quick. Um, and so that, that was nice. Yeah. That's incredible. Did either of them have any like long-term repercussions? Cause they like the second guy fell, so he could have hit his head. Or... Yeah. Both of them hit their head. Both of them were bleeding actually uh, on the pain. I mean, that itself could cause a problem. Just yeah, it could, but no, both of them made complete full recoveries, which is remarkable. Are you guys like besties now, the three of you and just, yeah, no, we're, we're good friends now. It's, 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 uh, it's been amazing. I'm so proud of them. They both had severe coronary disease. They had blockages in the LAD, the Widowmaker. Uh, and, um, and now with that plant-based diet and, and the exercise, um, they're definitely not going to have an issue again. And they ran the half marathon again last week with me. I mean, that's how great they're doing. And, and you were able to run the race on, un- uh, you didn't have to stop this time twice. Didn't right? have to stop. No, no. We, uh, they should give you some award. Cause that did affect your time having to do emergency care twice. You know, I mean, people were, were wonderful to me. I, I I'm very honored, honestly, anybody, uh, I wouldn't say anybody, but most people, um, in healthcare know how to do CPR. And that is just, I think, um, I guess if you, are going to collapse. He'd rather have a cardiologist behind you because uh, I've done it probably 100, 200 times in the hospital, but uh, I've only done it twice outside the hospital. And it was Greg and Mike those two times. That's uh, cool. Yeah. And so though the Big Sur Marathon Foundation were really nice. They gave me free lifetime entry to all their races. And uh, it was great. This is just a wonder. I love these kind of stories. Now, I used to be a respiratory therapist. And my understanding is the way that you're told to administer CPR has changed in the last several years. Is that true? A little bit. Yeah. And one of the things that they really emphasize is because they want the general public to uh, get involved. They don't want people to not administer CPR because they're nervous. They don't know what to do. So they tried to really simplify it. And they they really introduced the concept of what's called hands-only CPR. Also with COVID, people don't want to do mouth-to-mouth. They're afraid. Hands-only CPR is just you do two things. It's so easy. Everybody watching here is going to get their own CPR course right now. Just push hard and fast in the center of the chest. 
and push to the song staying alive that's the right beat you know ah 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 staying alive that's the, that's how fast you want to push pretty fast uh, and then, you know, call 911. Those are the two things. Push hard and fast to the song Staying Alive. Call 911. I heard they were going to use the song Another One Bites the Dust because that beat works too. But No, that's not a good song. When I was a respiratory therapist, once I had to give mouth to mouth because the crash cart didn't come and I don't recommend it at all. You know, so I'm glad it changed. That's just, I love that story. And yes, I would love to have those guys on the show. So very, very cool. But, you know, it proves a point. You can't outrun a bad diet. Or even if they didn't have a bad diet, whatever diet they had wasn't good enough to keep their arteries clean. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's very true. And, and even if there is some genetic risk, like I showed on the slides, um, geez, load the gun and lifestyle pulls the trigger. And, and most of lifestyle is is dietary, not not just that exercise component. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it has, they did have some family history, but um, yeah, diet is king. That is like, I mean, you know, because not everybody will survive an event like that, you know, and the fact that you could not only save their lives, but then educate them and, and convert them to a healthier, I love that story. You should yeah, get it. it's, it's great. You know, after having a big event like that, that's the biggest teachable moment. And so when I was at Rush University working with Kim Williams, one of the things that we did is actually we got forks over knives on the game changers to be able to be pulled up and played on the hospital TV when the patient's stuck in bed and has nothing else to do. And we changed the menu in the hospital. That's the time to educate people. And so I went and visited them uh, the morning after their cardiac arrest a, a year ago uh, in the hospital and said, oh my gosh, I'm glad you're doing so good. And I have an email I send my patients, which has all the resources of plant-based stuff, the videos that even links to your to your show, Chef AJ. Um, and, uh, and, and I shared it with them right away the day after and because you have their attention, no question. They just died. They have a clogged artery. This is when they're going to listen. So that's always the best teachable moment. Well, how can we teach cardiologists? Because there might have been other cardiologists or doctors running in the race. And I can understand in certain specialties, diet does, you know, anesthesiologists. Although I do know an anesthesiologist that does use his lifestyle medicine degree, even though he has minimal patient contact. But so many cardiologists, I mean, the the, the uh, American Heart Association diet is a disease promoting diet. It is no question about it. You know, and the unfortunate truth is the number one cause of death, death amongst physicians and cardiologists is heart disease. I've been to um, presentations about, you know, cholesterol and all these things. And I see our cholesterol specialists eating a steak and I just, you know, shake my head. I'm like, I, I don't know what this, how, how, why don't people care? It's, it's cultural. It's, you know, people like the taste. They don't want to change their food. Um, and Honestly, they don't, they don't read the science uh, about nutrition. Cardiologists don't. They don't think it's their job. They think my job is pills and procedures. If you want to do lifestyle, go see a nutritionist. And that's unfortunate. And that's the famous Kim Williams quote. There are two types of cardiologists, vegans, and those who have not yet read the research. He says the reason he said that is because he wants more nutrition research in cardiology journals because they publish it all in nutrition journals, which cardiologists don't read. Put the nutrition research in the cardiology journals in front of the cardiologist. That's what we need to do. You know, I mean, it's one thing if they don't want to do it themselves, but the fact that, that most of them don't even recommend it to their patients as an option almost sounds a little bit criminal to me, you know? It is, yeah. And Kim Williams, again, he's like my hero, uh, past ACC president. One of his other statements is, he, he said uh, when his acceptance speech, when he got elected president of the American College of Cardiology, he said, whole food plant-based diet is a cure for heart disease. If you're a cardiologist and you don't tell your patient about the cure for their disease, that is medical malpractice because you are actively withholding a cure from your patient and you can't do that. And that's the absolute truth. 
Yeah. You mentioned in your talk that you, you you can't really have too low of a cholesterol. And, you know, I've, I've had actually had what was his name, uh, grain, grain brain guy, Dr. David Perlmutter. We oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Rancho La Puerta, we were sitting at the same table and they don't use a lot of oil there. It's very minimal. And, but yet he asked for extra oil and he offered me some, I go, no, thanks. And he goes, why? I go, well, you know, I eat like a Dr. Esselstyn diet. He goes, what's your cholesterol? I go 99. He goes, that's too low. You're going to have, I forget what disease he said I was going to have. So it's nice to hear that from a cardiologist that you can't have too low of a cholesterol. Yeah, there's, there's a couple different things that kind of point that way. There's some genetic mutations where people's LDL cholesterol sits around 20 or 30. Uh, and those people have, you know, great longevity. Uh, and from the day they were born, their LDL was only like 20, uh, yet they lived to be 100. Uh, so we, we know that. And, um, and there's other, you know, these uh, secondary prevention trials, when you get the LDLs down to 30, outcomes dramatically improve. There was one uh, questionable study that that worried about oh was there a risk of, of bleeding in the brain uh, and some people talk about um, immune function and things like that but don't forget every cell needs cholesterol every cell can make its own cholesterol we're talking about blood cholesterol levels you don't need it in your blood circulating around right so you need it in your cells and every cell can make its own cholesterol so having in your bloodstream all it's going to do is clog your arteries up yeah. Can your blood pressure be too low? Because I get criticized because my lower number is 58, 59. But if but wouldn't some doctor have told me right now if I'm in danger? Like if people made such a big deal of I posted my blood pressure once and people were like, they were basically yelling at me. No, no, no. You know, blood pressure can be too low. No question about it. But in a healthy person um, who's eating adequate calories, staying physically active, you know, well-balanced diet, that's not going to happen unless there's some medical issue going on, like some adrenal insufficiency or something weird or dehydration. Uh, so normally the blood pressure normally should be under 120 and under for the top and under 80 for the bottom. I get a lot of people like, oh, my blood pressure is 110 over 70. It's too low. I'm like, no, it's not too low. That's normal. Uh, it's normal to be under 120. But in our culture, in our society, it's normal to have high blood pressure. More than 70% of Americans over the age of 50 have hypertension. They have high blood pressure. So we're just so used to seeing the 130s and the 140s all the time when we see a 110 or a 100 or even around in the 90s, people freak out. But look at kids. Look at any, you measure any 18 year old in high school who's technically an adult, their blood pressure are almost all going to be like 100 over 60 or, or 90 over 50. Uh, and they're fine. That, that's normal, healthy. It's similar to, to cholesterol. You know, when you're younger, your cholesterol numbers are real low. That's fine. They go up with age. And that's the way it works in America. But it shouldn't be that way. It's, it's interesting how people always want to criticize people for, you know, not being overweight or not having. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, you know. How long has it been since your 100-pound weight loss? So I started my journey almost 10 years ago. I remember, um, yeah, walking up a flight of stairs, getting short of breath, and my daughter was at the top, and they're like, Dad, what's wrong? I was like, I can't breathe. And so that was 2014 when I had my aha moment, but it took me two more years until I changed to plant-based. So uh, almost 10 years. Well, you you look great. I mean, you look younger and healthier. And have you, has it been difficult? Have you had slips and slides? Because so many people that lose weight, I mean, they gain it back. Yeah. So I did great all the way up until about the pandemic. I moved from Chicago all the way out here to Monterey, California in the middle of the pandemic. And we didn't have a kitchen for almost a year. Uh, it was a long time. And it was um, it was a challenge. And and that's that was the struggle. And I stayed 100% plant-based. But again, it was ordering more plant-based takeout and stuff like that. That's when, when I, I gained a little weight back. So I did struggle, but, um, back, I'm back down to ideal body weight. I'm six foot tall, 170 pounds. 
uh, and uh, and you know you just got to stick to it and and make sure you set everything up the right way and then you can do it. That's great. And your whole you have a you have six kids and a wife who's a physician and you're a plant based family, aren't you? Yes, indeed. Yeah, we have six awesome kids. Youngest is five, oldest is 17, 100% plant-based. They're all thriving. And our last two were born and raised 100% plant-based. So they've never eaten an animal product in their life. That, do they do they gloat to the other ones? Like, <laughs> I'm just Not kidding. really. <laughs> well, gosh, I'd like to have the whole family on the show because that's really amazing. Does, does, does everyone, who does the cooking in your family? Everybody? Yeah, kind of everybody, you know, uh, I do some cooking. Um, we, my wife, uh, her parents are from Korea. Uh, so we do a lot of Korean food, which is great. It's easy to do Korean food, whole food, plant-based. Uh, but my older daughter, uh, she does a great job. She follows a lot of uh, recipes online and um, she makes the kids and uh, the kids um, an awesome mac and cheese uh, that's using potatoes and carrots for the cheese sauce, along with nutritional yeast and other things over the noodles. They love it. They eat it up like crazy. Um, and so it's usually my wife, I, uh, and my older daughter, but every once in a while, the two middle kids will get in there too. That's neat. So people are asking, do you do any kind of telemedicine or, or can, can people see you as a doctor? Cause they oh. think you're awesome. No, no, I appreciate that. Um, I am actually only licensed in the state of California. And so the only way to see me, yes, we do video visits, um, for new patient appointments, but you have to live in California. If you don't, you have to physically come to California to see me, which is, not always practical for everybody. So sorry about that. <laughs> All right. Hey, would you mind, you know, people sent in questions. So would you mind answering a few, if you have time? And then if there's time after that, I'll go to the chat. Absolutely. You just seem so happy. <laughs> I am happy. Am I happy? I know. Cause you run around saving lives. Like I'm huh? doing great. They should have you like at every race, Boston huh? on New York marathon. Cause you'd be, I mean, I think you'd be like a good luck charm for somebody. You hey, know? God, yeah. I'm going to be at the LA marathon in March. So it'll be fun. Oh, wow. Because, you know, they have that thing. They have walk with a doc, dine yeah. with a doc. You sh they should have race with a doc. And people should, like, like pay large amounts of money to have you be the, whatever it's called, the person that runs next to them. <laughs> so that's that's just, I love, I'm just smiling ear to ear about that story. And I watched the clip, but hearing you tell it was even, even more inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy for those guys. So this is from Donna. I'm a 63-year-old female, female dedicated to whole food plant-based with good low blood pressure. Although at night, when I lie down, my blood pressure increases by 20 to 30 points, which causes headaches, swelling in the hands and toes, and joint pains. Is it reasonable to suspect either mechanical problems or titanium toxicity from a PFO closure in 2007 as possible causes? Maybe you can explain what a PFO closure wow, is. Oh, yeah, that's a little deep. Um, that's, a, yeah. that's a good question. So a PFO uh, called Peyton Freeman Valley is a... Uh, what we'll call a hole in the heart between the top two chambers, about 20 to 30% of people have it. Um, there's some thought that it could increase stroke risk if a blood clot gets through there and goes to the brain when they close it with the device. Sometimes there could be uh, heavy metals that are in there, I guess, titanium. Um, and so the unfortunate truth is the research on these types of things is, is very minimal. Uh, it's hard uh, to really tease out uh, things like this because um, having headaches and supine hypertension is very, very common, uh, even and people who don't have PFOs and PFO closures with titanium toxicity. Uh, there's a lot of individual variability, just like there is with diet and such, similar uh, with blood pressure. Sometimes it's what we call autonomic dysfunction, the balance between adrenaline and, um, and the opposite system uh, in your body that controls your heart rate. 
uh, and your blood pressure. Uh, and so uh, supine hypertension, a lot of the mechanisms are similar. Well, supine meaning laying down, uh, your blood pressure going up. A lot of the mechanisms are the same when you're standing up, but it's just different from person to person. So that, that there's no specific recommendations that we give for it besides eat healthy exercise, make sure you have ideal body weight. We think about sleep apnea, snoring and stopping breathing. That could really raise blood pressure just in general while laying down or, or not. Um, but there's nothing else specific that we would do. Thank you. And this is from Stephanie. And she said that for those who are already whole food plant-based and still have high cholesterol, 210, due to inheritance, do you have any advice or anything we can do? If the cholesterol level keeps increasing, say 10 per year, at what level will medication become necessary? Is there anything at all we can do to avoid medication? Yeah, that's a great question. I get that question a lot too. So the, to kind of summarize, we get patients who are eating whole food, plant-based, oil-free, frequently as far as the Esselstyn diet, but their LDL cholesterol is still high. Remember, we're focusing on, on LDL. So if you're in the primary prevention category, meaning you never had a heart attack or stroke, and your LDL is a little high, 90, 100, 110, but you're doing everything else perfect, you're not smoking, you're exercising, your ideal body weight, a lot of people who ask me this question, they're still, their body mass index is like 25, they're not quite ideal body weight, which you've got to try to get to ideal and your cholesterol numbers will come down further. If you're doing everything perfect, ideal body weight, exercise, Esselstyn or Ornish type diet, and your LDL is still up, there's a couple of ways to think about this. Number one is you can say, don't worry about it. You're doing everything else right. You're going to be fine. Uh, you could check a coronary calcium score make sure that's okay. If it's high, then you could be more aggressive. The second thing is you could try something called a portfolio diet, which is a specific diet where they introduce some soy products and some plant uh, phytosterols, uh, which can actually bind cholesterol and lower even more potentially in some people. The key is there's individual variability. Not everybody's the same in regards to how diet affects cholesterol and, and even inflammation. So you could try the, the portfolio diet. Other people talk about introducing amla, in, Indian gooseberry uh, into their diet, which has been shown to uh, lower uh, LDL cholesterol numbers or, or Brazil nuts. Uh, you could put those in there a little bit, not too much, you'll get selenium toxicity. So you don't, you don't want too much selenium, but um, so those are the types of things you can do, but just make sure your ideal body weight, exercising, strict whole food, plant-based, low fat. If it's still high and you have concerns, then you can go ahead uh, and um, uh, just be more aggressive, portfolio diet, all those things. What, what is the portfolio? Do, like, do you know some of the specifics of the portfolio what? diet? Yeah, it's actually pretty simple. It's 100% whole food, plant-based, oil-free, uh, except, um, you know, where Esselstyn says no nuts, seeds, avocado, coconut, soy, no oil at all. Um, the portfolio diet uh, says you can go ahead and do soy products because soy is 40% fat. Uh, and, um, and Ornish and Esselstyn try to keep percentage of calories from fat down to like 10% or so. Uh, and so that's why they restrict the soy products. Uh, and then plant phytosterols, there's actually, interestingly, I, I know this, some people will cringe uh, about this, but it's there's an earth balance spread and it's an oil-based spread uh, that um, has these plant phytosterols in it. And in a percentage of people, it can actually lower your LDL cholesterol number. But again, it's not for everybody, it's calorie dense. Uh -huh. So that's always the key is make sure you're still ideal body weight. You can't overconsume calories, but just these couple things can bind the cholesterol uh, in some people and get your LDL down. Now, I've only been doing this lifestyle medicine for seven years. So I asked Neil Barnard and Esselstyn these questions as well, because I'm trying to learn. And Esselstyn said, don't worry about it if your LDL is slightly high, as long as you're following my diet, and you're doing everything else perfect. 
And Barnard said, if you are doing everything perfect, just wait 5, 10, 15 years, and you're going to see it slowly creep down. That's interesting. Well, you know, you talked about if, if calorically dense. So there are some plant-based cardiologists now that are recommending oil. And my question is, is even if there's something in oil that has proven to be beneficial, wouldn't it be in the olive? Yes, no, no question. So I actually have a whole 17 minute video YouTube channel all about oil. Uh, and and the, um, the uh, conclusion honestly is that uh, the only people that couldn't tolerate oil, I'm not saying it's good for you necessarily, but tolerate oil such as olive oil in their diet, you have to be at ideal body weight. If you're not, you shouldn't be consuming the oil. Your LDL has to be under 70 because there is some saturated fats in, in olive oil, 15% saturated fat. Now, granted, again, there's individual variability. There might be some people that olive oil could slightly reduce uh, LDL cholesterol numbers because of the other components. Um, and uh, you need to have no inflammation, negative inflammatory markers because the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio in olive oil is not very favorable. But it is calorie dense. And yes, you can get, why wouldn't you be able to get the same benefits from eating the olive? And you also get fiber uh, and, and micronutrients and all those other things too while, while you're at it. Um, so uh, the biggest research on olive oil uh, is honestly uh, what we call a substitutionary benefit, meaning you remove animal fat, you remove butter from the diet and instead have olive oil and the outcomes are dramatically improved. Uh, fewer heart attacks, fewer strokes, people live longer, but not necessarily saying olive oil is good for you. It just means it's less harmful than the animal-based sources of fat. And the analogy that I use in that situation, it's kind of like doing a research study and saying, let's give a thousand people cyanide and a thousand people arsenic and see who <laughs> dies. And the people on the cyanide, they die real quick. The people with the arsenic, eh, they don't die as fast. Oh, arsenic must be good for you, right? Because they're not dying as fast. Let's everybody should should eat some arsenic. No, no, they're, they're both bad for you. It's just one is less harmful. Uh, and that's why when you remove animal fat and give olive oil, it looks like there's a benefit, but it's what we call a substitutionary benefit. Even better would be to remove the oil unless you are that very small percentage of people at ideal body weight, low LDL, negative inflammatory markers, you could perhaps tolerate a little bit in your diet. I love that. It's like Dr. Goldhammer says, just because something is less bad doesn't mean it's good. That's right. Great. So I have a lot of information if you need more, but the basic question, and she'd like me to ask anonymously is, would you recommend an ablation, ablation therapy for a heart arrhythmia? She's 74, whole food plant exclusive, SOS free, five years, had AFib stopped in the last three years, but she has skipped heartbeats regularly, takes one half of 25 milligrams metoprotol to keep it under control, but according to her Apple Watch, ECG is inconclusive. Are those are those devices even accurate? I always worry about people that have to wear CG. I, it's one thing if you're diabetic and wearing a continuous glucose monitor, but there's like a thing now where people are just doing it because it's in vogue and like, oh, I can't eat a blueberry because my blood sugar went up and things like uh, that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, the atrial fibrillation um, question uh, so it's kind of similar to type 2 diabetes. Uh, if somebody's had type 2 diabetes for 50 years and their pancreas is burnt out, you might not be able to get complete reversal of type 2 diabetes. They're going to get dramatic improvement if you go whole food plant-based and do lifestyle medicine approach. Atrial fibrillation is the same way. It depends on the cause and how long you've had it for. Uh, atrial fibrillation is a fast, irregular heartbeat that comes from the top chamber of the heart, and it could actually increase stroke risk because you can get a clot inside the heart and it could break loose and, and go to the brain. 
the power of lifestyle medicine with atrial fibrillation is in prevention. Uh, uh, one of the uh, biggest uh, atrial fibrillation experts I asked um, after I spoke about lifestyle medicine and heart disease uh, at one of the largest um, exercise physiology conferences, he came up and talked about atrial fibrillation. I raised my hand and said, hey, what percentage of atrial fibrillation is preventable through lifestyle medicine? And he said, probably 90 to 95%, almost all of it. And three to 5 million Americans have it. Uh, but once you have it, can you reverse it or put it into remission? The answer is yes, absolutely you can, but it kind of depends on the cause and how long you've had it for. If you're overweight and you have sleep apnea and you get down to ideal body weight, your sleep apnea goes away, your blood pressure comes down and you're, you're physically active, you may never have it again. Uh, a powerful story of that is Dr. Jim Loomis. You may have seen him in the Game Changers, the medical director of the Barnard Medical Center. He had atrial fibrillation, reversed it all through, through lifestyle. Uh, and um, it, it definitely can happen. I've seen it in my patients. But ablation is when they actually go in through the groin. It's an invasive procedure, and they isolate the area that causes the rhythm issue. It's got some risks to it. Uh, and ablation does not make you live longer. It doesn't prevent stroke. It's for symptom relief only. So you really got to ask yourself the question, does atrial fibrillation bother me so much to where I'm willing to risk going through an invasive procedure that has risk? Wow, that's interesting. So so even with an ablation, there's no guarantee a person won't have a stroke. Oh, well, yeah, correct. I mean, uh, it depends on the scenario. It's definitely different from person to person. Uh, atrial fibrillation ablation in the right patient is probably about 90% effective at preventing the rhythm. But you know, as a complication of the procedure, there is a risk of causing a stroke uh, wow. or, or other issues too. But it's, it's a relatively low risk. But again, and the benefits just um, symptoms, right? It's kind of like I, I compare it to somebody who has arthritis in their knee. And a lot of people undergo knee replacement surgery, all for something they know is not going to kill them. Getting a knee replacement is not going to make you live longer, right? But it's there to make you feel better and improve your quality of life. So for atrial fibrillation, you got to ask yourself, how is my quality of life this way? Is it going to be dramatically better if I go through this ablation procedure? Just like people ask that same question for like a knee or a hip replacement. That's so interesting. Do you personally do those procedures? Uh, no, atrial fibrillation ablation is done by uh, what we call an electrophysiologist, a heart rhythm specialist. Yeah. And that sounds just scary, you know. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for explaining that because um, we, we lost a great man due to atrial fibrillation recently, Dr. Hans Diel. And I wondered if, you know, like, could something have been done, you know? Yeah. But no, I mean, and it depends too. Sometimes atrial fibrillation, uh, elite athletes can develop it just from the strain of like running marathons and all those things too. So it's, uh, well, it's predominantly preventable through lifestyle. Every once in a while, there's nuances where um, it's it's potentially inevitable or it could be from valve disease, which could be a genetic thing too. So, Thank you. This question is from Susan and she says, I am very thin and eat a large quantity of avocado nuts and nut butters to maintain my weight. Do you feel that all the fat in these foods could be detrimental to my heart health? Great question. Um, and so again, it's variable individually. So the only way to know would be to check your, your numbers and see. Uh, there's going to be a percentage of people who can tolerate a higher plant fat diet, uh, and it's not going to increase their LDL. It's not going to increase their inflammation markers. Uh, but how do you know if that's you or not? Uh, and the only way to know is, is get your numbers checked and, and see. Make sure you get a C-reactive protein, uh, get a lipid panel, uh, see where your LDL cholesterol is. If your LDL is over 70, then yeah, reducing it would be helpful. Uh, and I, I understand, um, I have run into the situation. Some people are just those lucky fast, you know, metabolic rate where they can eat like a horse and yet they're thin. Even if they're eating a standard American diet, some people can eat a standard American diet and still be thin. Most people can't, but some uh, people can. 
Uh, and so you take a person like that and you put them on a whole food plant-based diet, you got to really work hard to eat adequate calories to make sure you're not becoming underweight in those situations. And so if people focus on the higher calorie density, uh, higher fat plant foods, uh, which can be fine as long as your numbers look good. So it, it just depends on the numbers. And if the numbers aren't good, just try to pound more of the starch. Uh, it would be uh, what I would say. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I think people can get enough calories from uh, sweet potatoes, rice, and beans if if they eat enough of them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's always just a matter of eating eating enough uh, and, and yeah. That's the fun thing about calorie density. I can <laughs> do that and just have a tiny little bit of fat. Uh, this is from Linda and she says, um, how do you cook potato chunks in a skillet without using oil? All my attempts have been horrible, uncooked and wet and slimy or undercooked in the middle and, or overcooked and burned on the outside. That's more of a question for you. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I can answer that too, but I guess, you know, because yeah. I guess it's cardiologist well, oil, you know, because I guess sure. trying to make a case that, but I got to use oil for this, you well, know? Well, I mean, you can boil potatoes. Uh, I'm going to admit uh, I'm a little lazy sometimes. Sometimes I bring a, a box of sweet potatoes here to work with me and stick a fork in it eight minutes in the microwave and it, <laughs> and it, and it works um, quite well. Uh, but doing it on a skillet, um, yeah, I'm sure you could just put water on the skillet. You just have to keep adding water, keep adding water. But it's almost like the same as, as boiling it. Uh, so um, I, I wouldn't have any specific advice, but I'm sure you could probably answer that better than me. Well, I mean, there's just, I don't know what kind of pan she's using. You know, there's these, you know, these wonderful nonstick pans and skillets. You know, the, I, I would, first thing I'd say is what kind of pan she's using. And I would refer her to my YouTube channel and other chefs YouTube channel where we show you pretty much our courses, how to cook without oil, because you can get delicious. I mean, yesterday I made the crispest hash, hash browns in the world using a patini press. There was no oil. Mm -hmm. I just put the, ha you know, the frozen hash browns in organic. And I mean, like it's, a, so there's just, I think I would say it's the tools maybe she's using. You don't yeah. need air fryers, for example, you know? Yeah, we do the same thing with the panini press. There's actually a hash brown uh, that you could buy online and they send you this in a little kind of one of those little um, cardboard cartons. You just add hot water to it, let it sit for 10 minutes. And then the potatoes soak, soak up the water. You stick it in the panini press, down it goes, it crisps up. It's, and there's no, no drop of no oil. I use the brand from Sprouts that's frozen. What is the brand that I've never heard of the brand you're talking about? You know, about. I'm not sure. I'm going to be honest with you. We get it from Amazon. So um, and that's just, maybe you can tell me later because that sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you if you have to go, go. I got a lot of questions. Oh, I got lots of time. I have, okay, I, great. I'm I so glad we're doing this on the weekend because you're just, you're delightful. This is from Terry and she says her total cholesterol, LDL and triglycerides are higher than she'd like. Total is 186, LDL 63, LDL 102, triglycerides 114. And she goes, is there any way that she can lower these things, you know, um, without supplements or medications? She's 60 and thin, but she's discouraged with her current lipid profile. Um, I guess she's, she's had worse ones before. Yeah. So the triglyceride number was normal, 114. Anything under 150 is is good. What did you say the LDL was? I think she said it was 102. Let me. This is sim that. similar to the other question. Um, you always... LDL is 102 before it was 145. Yeah. Um, before her triglycerides were lower at 41 and her, tri her before whole food plant base, it was 251. So it's definitely gotten better. She yeah. processed foods or restaurants and yeah. So it's similar a week, maybe. Yeah. Exercise vigorously. Sounds like she's doing just about everything right, you know. Yeah. So it's similar to the other question. Uh, make sure your ideal body weight, because a lot of people uh are still a little bit over ideal body weight. Uh, and every kilogram you lose, you drop your LDL at least by a point. Uh, and then um 
you uh, again look at the uh, if you're 100% plant-based, that's great. Look at the saturated fat content. Uh, try to keep the higher fat plant-based foods down. Think about the portfolio diet uh, and amla, Indian gooseberry, uh, and um, uh, and yeah, and I think that and that's yeah, those she are said. What about berberine, garlic, and oat bran? Yeah. So again, what we have to always go by, I have lots of patients that ask about natural remedies. There's a couple issues. Um, one is we as lifestyle medicine physicians still 100% want to advocate what the clinical research has shown. You need to have a good clinical trial published in a major journal that's peer reviewed, scrutinized, and hopefully multiple clinical trials, right? And the unfortunate truth about natural remedies like berberine, garlic, and these things the, there's no money in them because you can't patent them. Therefore, the big clinical trials are never really funded and they don't really get done in an adequate fashion and published in big medical journals. So that means there's a lack of really good scientific research to be able to advocate for or against these types of things. So that's problem number one. Uh, problem number two is, especially when you're buying it from some supplement store, uh, it's not FDA regulated for purity and quality. So you really don't know what you're getting. There was one horrific research study almost 10 years ago now where they took supplements from, uh, I forget where, Walmart, GNC, Target, um, and CVS or something. And they actually analyzed them in the lab to see if, they, uh, if what was actually in them. And 70% of them did not, not even contain the ingredient on the, on the list. Uh, it's just crazy. It's like fraud. So uh, it's the unfortunate truth. Now, how about eating garlic um, and things like that? I, maybe there's benefits. It just hasn't been shown. So I always tell patients, go ahead and try it if you'd like to. Do it at your own risk. We don't know if there's going to be risk to these types of things, but there probably is. Uh, eating garlic does not have to be no risk, but I'd be taking some kind of uh, supplement that's in a powder, in a capsule. Who knows if it's going to interact with something or cause some issue. Most of those things aren't harmful, but uh, there's no good research to say they're helpful. If you want to try it, you go for it, see how it goes, and I'll watch it with you. That's kind of what I, what I tell <laughs> my patients. Nice, nice. Uh, this is from Wanda, and she said, what makes the heart rate go down annually from the 60s to a couple of years ago, 48? I work out and I eat right, but I've and I've always been thin with low blood pressure. Yeah, so heart rate going down. So a couple things about it. Um, when you read a textbook, you'll hear people say normal heart rates between 60 and 100. Now, if you think about that, how convenient are those numbers? Come on, 60 is one beat per second. 100 is a nice round number. There's no way nature physiologically made us to be exactly 60 to 100 beats a minute. When you really look at 98% of the population, a normal heart rate's between 44 and 90. So really we should reset our normal heart rate number between 44 and 90. So going to 48 is no big deal. Now, if you work out regularly, uh, heart rate tends to run low. You've heard Lance Armstrong, the cyclist, uh, his resting heart rate when he sleeps has been shown to go as low as 16, 16. Wow. Uh, mine is goes as low as 42 as a marathon runner, even when I'm awake. So uh, it's it's normal for people who are physically active to get to have lower heart rates. So it's no concern to have it that low. And there's also, uh, I'm assuming being plant-based, eat a lot of beans. Uh, there's actually clinical research to show eating beans lowers your heart rate. If you go to nutritionfacts.org uh, and search beans and heart rate, you'll see a nice Michael Greger video about how beans lower your heart rate. <laughs> Nice. This question, um, you we kind of answered it, but I'll I'll just you know I think it's an important one, so we'll 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 say it again. But Dana wanted to know um, if you're whole food, plant based, no sugar or salt, and you're at a healthy weight. The big controversy is is olive oil healthy? A lot of the plant based doctors, McDougal, Campbell, say people want to hear good things about their bad habits. 
personally, I have heart disease and do not miss having oil at home, but it would be a lot easier to have it when I go out to eat. I'm tired of having steamed vegetables and rice or salad with lemon, but I'll continue to eat that way if it's healthier. So, yeah. And so this gets into a complex question, honestly, because like we said before, um, if your ideal body weight, your LDL is down, your inflammation markers are negative. Um, you know, maybe you could tolerate little bits of olive oil. Please don't drink it by the glass. Uh, but uh, little bits probably won't be devastating in those scenarios, even if you have heart disease, if your numbers are fine. But uh, I think where it really comes into play, honestly, is not in a in an individual like this who seems to have great control over their diet and can stay oil free. Uh, it's more the general public uh, who are just struggling to give up the processed foods and the animal foods if you can move them away from butter and animal fat towards olive oil, it's going to be an improvement with the ultimate goal of removing the oil completely. Uh, but kind of as a transition, just like people eat the Beyond Burgers as a transition off of animal-based burgers, uh, fine. Uh, use the olive oil in your cooking uh, to get you off of butter, but eventually hoping to eliminate it altogether as, as a goal. So for this individual, uh, as long as numbers are perfect, don't be crazy devastated. Uh, but I know one of the other things that, you know, if you have it a little bit when you go out, but one of the other things that uh, Esselstyn emphasizes is um, the reason he's so strict on no fat is uh, not a single nut, seed, avocado, anything like that is because of your cravings for fat. Uh, for most people are very, very strong and powerful. You get rid of the taste and cravings for sugar and salt within, I don't know, 10, 14 days or something, but the craving for fat takes a lot longer to go away, 60 to 90. <laughs> yeah. So if you start eating some of that again, and your brain says, Ooh, I really love the taste of this olive oil and this higher fat, yeah. you're going to start eating more and more and more. And, and you got to be careful not, not to go crazy. Yeah. Because then, because I can be satisfied with just steamed vegetables because I don't eat oil. It kind of makes me sick. I mean, I haven't had it unintentionally, but it's, ugh, I don't like it. Do you like it anymore? Yeah, not really. No, I, I, we, we avoided it altogether if we can. Yeah. Is the I was going looking on Amazon. Is it called Idaho Spuds by any chance? Yeah, I think that might be it. Let's see, Idaho Spuds. I was looking on Amazon for little packs. That's so cool that people can get them because not everybody has a sprouts near them that, or even a Whole Foods yeah. sell the organic. You know, so this question: Have you heard of something called the SAVE protocol, the Save protocol? No, I have not. I can look it up though and see. Yeah, look it up. The Save protocol is running a race where Doctor Loam is in the race. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I, so, cause, cause the question is about the save protocol, um, from someone anonymous, um, oh, and they're asking if doing it with the Esselstyn diet and high dose statins and azetamibi, does calcified plaque ever regress or just, well, here's a, here's a question, regardless of whether we not know what the save protocol is. The question is, does calcified plaque ever regress or is it just soft plaque that regresses it? And is there a range where LDL could go too low? What is the best possible LDL? Yeah, so LDL can't go too low. Uh, at least under 70, if you don't have heart disease, uh, under 50 would be better. Um, otherwise, and I'm not sure, I'm looking here, um, when I search SAVE protocol, it looks like they're also calling an autoimmune protocol. So I think it's just kind of a, a, a protocol in order to try to eliminate uh, something that might be causing an autoimmune disorder, leaky gut, you know, um, something like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or multiple sclerosis. Uh, and absolutely, Esselstyn diet's fine. It's only a very small percentage of people that the autoimmune disease is attributed to something like gluten or nightshades. It's a very small percentage of people. And so predominantly, if you get rid of processed foods and animal foods, you're going to hit more than 90% of the, the culprits. Um, and 
uh, as you stay physically active and lose weight, hopefully that autoimmune disorder will go away. Uh, and so um, I think it's fine, yes, if, uh, with the safe protocol to, to go Esselstyn or, or plant-based. And then, yeah, with the LDL as low as possible is, is the way to go. Yeah. Thank you. This is from another Susan. Have any of your patients been on statins and blood thinners long-term following a heart attack without having any issues? Yes, yes, indeed. And uh, and yes, and uh, I also forgot that she asked about uh, calcified plaque and reversal. Um, so uh, in regards to soft plaque can regress uh, according to the Ornish data. Hard plaque, we don't think of it as regressing. Uh, if anything, when, you know, like I said at my presentation, that soft plaque could calcify and sometimes calcium scores go up as you change diets. Uh, or get your LDL cholesterol way down. And that's okay, because the actual percentage of stenosis, the percentage of blockage in the arteries, that's not what's important. What's important is, are you gonna have a heart attack? Are you gonna have a stroke? Are you gonna live longer? It is the actual outcomes. And that's what's dramatically improved if you change your diet and go plant-based. Even if you calcify more plaque or your calcium score goes up, doesn't matter. You're not gonna have a heart attack or stroke and you're gonna live longer. And that's, that's the important thing. Um, and so what was that last question then? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I filed it away. Um, oh, have any of your patients oh, yes. following a heart attack been on blood thinners and statins long-term without any side effects? Oh, yes, of course. Yes, of course. And George Burns can smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol and live to be 105. So uh, you, meaning um, there's always a percentage of people that you can give medications and they'll end up getting lucky and um, not having any other negative uh, events, heart attack, strokes, or, or early death, but it's a gamble, right? It's, it's a, it's a percentage. So you get them on the medication, you're going to improve their risk, maybe 30, 40%. Uh, but if you don't make lifestyle changes, um, you're, you're, you're taking a big risk and some people can get, will get away with it and get lucky. We don't really have a way to identify those people. Um, so you never know. Uh, that's why just doing everything, uh, getting your number down at any, you know, any way possible and following, you know, the proper lifestyle medicine approach is, is key for everybody. Thank you. Steve says, can lifestyle and diet decrease cardiac calcium scores? Yeah. So that's the same thing, uh, kind of similar concept. Actually, it can increase calcium scores. Um, marathon runners, uh, for sure are shown to have higher calcium scores, maybe because they took their softer plaque and calcified them. Uh, and then when you uh, have a pro-inflammatory diet, high cholesterol, and you develop soft plaque, and then you change your diet and you get rid of the inflammation and your cholesterol number drops, that softer plaque hardens and can frequently calcify. Again, it's variable from person to person, but I've had a number of patients whose calcium scores go up. And so actually, honestly, what I tell patients is if you have a positive calcium score, don't ever check it again. It was a one-time thing and you saw your score was 100 or whatever, we know where your risk is now. It, you know, following it over time is not going to tell you anything because if it goes up, it doesn't matter. If you're doing the right lifestyle changes, it's not going to change what we do. And you may have taken that soft plaque and hardened it. So following trends of calcium scores, that's not what you want to do. Uh, now, what is maybe useful is if your calcium score is zero, you know, maybe three years later, checking it again to see if it still remains zero uh, is uh, could be a, a benefit. But if um, if it's zero and you change your diet and it goes up a little bit, that again, maybe because you you took that softer plaque and you hardened it and calcified it, I wouldn't be concerned at all about it as long as you're doing all the right lifestyle things. Thank you. Uh, there's a question. What is the optimal preventative cholesterol number? 
Yeah, so total under 140, most people would say some you know, 150, some people would say LDL under 70 at least. Uh, but um, I think most experts would say in the mid 50s, but they, they do categorize patients into either primary prevention or secondary prevention, meaning you've never had a heart attack or stroke. Under 70 is probably fine for you, but if you've already had an issue, you've already clogged an artery, uh, we want it even lower. So that's when you got to get at least in the mid 50s. But again, no such thing as too low. Thank you. Richard says, I'm doing an omega test every six months as Dr. Furman advises. I'm taking his supplement. What are your thoughts? He wants uh, my number at six and right now it's five up from a four. Yeah. What are your thoughts in general about omega-3 fatty yeah. supplements? So omega is a, a challenging topic. And again, trying to tease through the current evidence that's there. And it's an embarrassment, honestly, to our medical community that we don't have more research that more solidly answer a question like this. We really should. Uh, but it's it's hard to give a good solid answer based on the current evidence. And that's why you're going to see different recommendations from different people. You're going to see about half a lifestyle medicine doctors say if you're following plant-based and you're keeping it low fat, yeah, have your chia seeds and your flax seeds. Uh, your, you know, if you're going to have any nuts, make it walnuts uh, and you'll be fine with omegas. Uh, and then you got other uh, lifestyle medicine doctors saying take an algae-based omega-3 supplement because you, know, you need a, your brain. It's mostly for brain health, honestly. Um, and so what, what does the research show? Uh, it, we can't really answer. We know fish oils are bad for you. They don't lower heart attack and stroke risk. They can increase prostate cancer risk. Uh, it may have to do with impurities that are in there or whatever. So certainly fish oil is, is not the way to go. And then the question is, if you do a blood test and then like a blood test and your level's low, what happens? You know, is that, is that something you got to worry about? Do you need to somehow get more omegas in your diet? And the, the answers aren't really clear, but it makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside if we see saw a low number on our omega-3s uh, or omega-whatever index, and then you improve it by dietary changes. But we don't know if that really leads to improved outcomes. We know getting omega-3s from fish is not the way you want to go, uh, just like fish oils. I always tell patients, Eating fish to get omega-3s, it's like eating somebody, you know, who wants to eat nuts and they think nuts are good for them. It's like eating a Snickers bar to get nuts. Yeah, you can get nuts from a Snickers bar, but you get all the crap that comes with it. Uh, and, uh, you know, so eating a fish, yeah, you get omega-3s, but you get all the stuff that comes with it, cholesterol, saturated fat, dioxins, mercury, PCBs, all the bad stuff. So you definitely don't want to get it. Eliminate the middleman. Uh, Algae-based would be the way to go. And so does everybody need to take an algae-based supplement? It's probably not harmful. Uh, is it critical? We don't know the answer. If your numbers are low on a omega-3 or an, an omega check, sure, fine, take an algae-based supplement, but we don't have enough data to really solidly answer it, which I think is, again, an embarrassment, but. Thank you. You have some great analogies. I <laughs> Somebody's asking, what about Brazil nuts? Should we eat Brazil nuts? Yeah. So there were some studies that showed as few as, I forget the number four, but Brazil nuts, I believe a week uh, can lower your LDL by, um, I forget the exact number, 10 points or something like that. It's not a dramatic change. It's not going to like make your LDL go from 160 down to 50 like we want it to, but can you give a little extra improvement? Sure. And again, there's going to be some variability and why not, right? Why not? What's the risk of eating Brazil nuts? There's no risk. Uh, I mean, unless you're eating, you're, you're, I guess, okay, the calorie density, your weight, those types of things. Um, but if you're doing four Brazil nuts a week and you're already at ideal body weight, fine. You know, um, if you're, if you're doing good and you can tolerate little bits of nuts in your diet based on calorie density, make it Brazil nuts once a week, make it just a very small amount of walnuts. If you can handle it, if you want to, if you can tolerate those higher fat plant foods without going crazy and eating you know, too many of them, uh, without going nuts on the nuts, uh, then I, I think that would be fine. But again, that's, 
every person's different there. Don't go nuts on nuts. I love it. Natalie says it was a great presentation. I'm vegetarian and I'd like to know if eating egg whites only is still fine because it's my favorite breakfast. Yeah. So I would point you to the slide in my presentation on the animal-based protein where there was those three publications in the Journal American uh, Medical Association where they substituted uh, animal protein uh, for plant protein and eggs, uh, substituting eggs had a significant uh, mortality uh, reduction, and that was controlling for cholesterol. So that was controlling for dietary cholesterol, right? So this is focusing on the protein aspect of it. So the protein from eggs significantly contributes to heart disease, not to mention if you read the China study, you know, cancer risk and such as well. It's very sulfur-based protein, and those are much more acidic, uh, which are, are not good for you. And then you get the trimethylamine oxide uh, and, um, and and all those types of things. So uh egg whites are not good for you. Can some people tolerate them in their diet to a small amount, calorie density wise, heart disease wise, maybe, but it's not good for you. It's kind of like saying, if you smoked one cigarette a day, am I going to get heart disease? It's only a small amount. It's like, well, you know, it's not good for you to smoke one cigarette. Maybe some people can get away with that, but uh, not recommended for sure. So I love it. Jay says, why did, why do people keep pushing keto if they know it causes heart disease? Well, because people love to hear good news about their bad habits. Um, you can see people, you know, they, they eat foods that are more aligned with their culture. You can lose weight on keto, right? But you could also lose weight if you became a cocaine addict or if we gave you chemotherapy, right? And so people, a lot of people are fixated on, on the weight loss part of it. And there's going to be a small percentage of people uh, that their cholesterol numbers actually get better. Uh, and so they go, Hey, look, but you know, most people it goes, it goes up, uh, and there's going to be a small percentage of people where inflammation goes down, but it also depends on how you do the keto. If you do it more high fat versus high protein versus more processed meats or red meats, um, and all the data, and there's a lot of data on the, on the keto diet, it's all short term one year or two years, right. And diet affects you over decades, decades. And so doing keto in the long term, no question, dramatic increases heart disease risk because people do it then for the short-term gain. It's easier for a lot of people to do uh, than it is to be plant-based. And that's a failure of our culture and food system, honestly. Um, and uh, they like the way the food tastes and they have all these bad doctors that are out there writing books and trying to sell supplements and, um, and uh, you know, getting, you know, YouTube selling, getting YouTube ads and stuff from their videos uh, all because of this. But I like to point towards Adkins, right? Adkins was a keto diet. He died. He had heart disease. Um, he was 270 pounds when he died. Uh, and there was an awesome, uh, check out the USDA dietary debate between Dean Ornish and Dr. Adkins. It was from the, I don't know, somewhere in the 1980s. You can find it on YouTube. Adkins and Ornish went at it. And it was this absolutely embarrassing for Adkins. He's sitting there obese, saying he reverses heart disease. And Dean Ornish says, show me the data. Show me the research that you've published. Oh, oh, I don't have the funding like you do, he says. And then he, Dean Ornish says, you sold 25 million books and you sell supplements to correct the nutritional deficiencies that your diet causes. What do you mean you don't have the funding? And he goes, okay, uh, I'll be the first doctor to fund his own research. It's like, what? Uh, it's just, it was absolutely ridiculous. So uh, it's unfortunate, honestly, but I think, most people know keto is bad for you, but the people who 
just want to hear good news about their bad habits and lose weight at any cost. They could do it in the short term, but long term, they need to change to plant-based. Um, and, and even in the short term, there's risk of inflammation and, and such. It's like saying, if I smoke four, cigarette, four packs of cigarettes a day for a year, I'll lose weight. And one year of that, that's not going to hurt me that much, right? Never know. Not good for you. Hey, I'm curious, the two fellas who you saved, I'm sure they thanked you profusely. Did they get you a present of any kind? I mean, like if you saved my life, I'd be giving you my firstborn and stuff like that. They got me the best present ever. They bought a defibrillator and they donated it to the uh, to the race. Um, and so that's, that's great because it's something that uh, is going to hopefully help save other people's lives. So yeah, and we went out to dinner and they bought me dinner and stuff like that. But, uh, but no, they're, they're such great people. I'm so proud of them. Well, introduce me to both of them and they can come on separately together or with you. However, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're just, you're great. I'm so happy because you contacted me to come back on because I don't like to bug people, but you, you know, you could almost have a regular slot if you had time. I mean, yeah, well, I always just want to promote this message. I, I, like many of your guests, I'm very passionate about this message. And um, I just, I feel like I'm living in some kind of virtual reality, honestly. I don't know how my life could have been set up to be any more perfect to become a lifestyle medicine advocate. And I thought it was that way already. And then all these marathon events happen, which just kind of makes it even, even more so. So anything I can do to spread the message for sure. Well, you are a hero. Thank you so much, Dr. Lohm. I so enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, it was great. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all you do. You save just as many lives, if not more than I do. So <laughs> I didn't even have to go to medical school. Just call you got it. <laughs> we have another cardiologist on tomorrow at nine o'clock. This is like a cardiology weekend, Dr. Columbus Batiste, who I'm sure you know. He's great. I love him. He's very well-spoken. He's a very passionate advocate. I've met him at a lot of the, a lot of the conferences before. He's, he's, he's wonderful. He was in the Game Changers. Yeah. Yep. And he's going to talk about diabetes and gratitude. And have, have you been to the Plantrician Conference yet? Oh yeah, many times. Actually, I think I saw you there once. Um, I don't think we talked, but this was yeah. probably 2017. It, it was probably when it was in Anaheim where it's going to be next yeah. year. Well, maybe I can see you again there next year if you come. I'd oh really yeah, I'd love yeah. to go. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Long. Yeah, no problem. Thank you again for having me. Thanks everyone. See you tomorrow, we hope. Bye-bye.